Well, today we are going to um, continue uh, in our study of uh, 1 John, okay, in chapter 2. And we come to a very interesting place here. Uh, I know we've had a few weeks where, uh, because of holidays, uh, we haven't um, uh, been exactly here. But the last time we were in uh, 1 John, we, we uh, focused on the threat from without, <laughs> and that is being friends with the world. Okay, and we, we talked about that, uh, loving the world and what that means, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful, boastful pride of life, and a little bit about what that means. And so now we're going to move on to verse 18, and uh, really, uh, it goes to the end of the chapter, to really get the gist of this. Uh, so I'm going to read all the way to the end of the chapter, even if we don't cover it, but hopefully we will. So he's, so he's starting a new section because he's saying children. Now, when he's speaking here about children, he's not like, this is not junior congregation, okay? Uh, he, he has such an endearment to the people that uh, he's writing to that that's how he re he's referring to them. It is a term of endearment by calling them children okay children it is the last hour and just as you heard that anti-messiah is coming how do you like that even now many anti-messiahs have arisen from this we know that it is the last hour they went out from us but they were not really of us for if they had been of us they would have been they would have remained with us but they went out in order that it might be shown that they might not be of us but you have an, an anointing from the holy one and you all know. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but the one who denies that Yeshua is the Messiah? This is the anti-Messiah, the one who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. The one who confesses the Son has the Father also. As, as for you... Let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If that which you heard from the beginning abides in you, you will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise which he himself made to us, life forever, eternal life. These things I have written to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. As for you, the anointing which you received from him abides in you, and you have no need for anyone to teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about all things and is true and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you abide, uh, you abide in him. Okay? And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink back from him in shame uh, at, his, uh, at his coming. And if you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. All right, so first he says, it's the last hour, okay? So you have to stop there and say, well, what does he mean by the last hour, right? Uh, now, uh, one could say this, that maybe by the last hour, he thought that Yeshua was going to be returning any second, but he was wrong, so it really wasn't the last hour, so... We gotcha, John. It wasn't the last hour, and uh, and, uh, and and that's you know, and and uh, and there you go. 
Or perhaps what he is uh, saying, it is the last hour in the sense not so much of uh, what time is it, literally what time is it, but a period of time, okay? But a period of time. And you see this in varieties of places. In the Tanakh, as well as uh, in the Brit Chadashah, that uh, there was a sense that people had received uh, uh, prophecies, dreams, and visions pertaining to uh, the last hour or the time of the end. Uh, you had, for example, uh, Daniel, especially in uh, chapter 8, 9, and 11. Uh, he, uh, he has dreams that pertain to the time of the end. Yet, what he actually literally dreamt about was not exactly the time of the end, except for a few verses at the end of chapter, at the end of chapter 11. Uh, but uh, uh, what he finally understood and what we understand uh, is that what he saw as the immediate future history was like a, a paradigm or a model of the end or a type of the end. You know, when Daniel uh, had his dreams, uh, he was looking for the time of the end basically to be the end of the Babylonian captivity. But then what uh, he learns is that the end of the captivity is a time of the end, but not the time of the end. And then he has a vision and a dream about something that was going to take place a few hundred years later that we know about. Uh, Antiochus Epiphanes, the story of Hanukkah and the desecration of the temple. But... That turned out not to be exactly the time of the end. It was a time of the end. See? Uh, and, uh, and then, of course, you have all the prophets who wrote about the end, uh, but did not realize that after a captivity, it would be a time of the end, but not the time of the end. Right? So now you have, this is very, uh, there's a lot of continuity here. So John, who knows now that that this is a little different because the Messiah has come, okay? And the reason that he understands it to be the last hour, and, uh, you know, we do read um, in a few different places uh, about, uh, you know, the last hour, about the, the uh, you know, the hour coming, or uh, indeed uh, the, uh, the, the time of the end. Uh, is uh, uh, the fact, for example, you read in uh, Hebrews. Let's, let's just uh, get a couple of these verses down. The book of Hebrews is really excellent on this in a couple of very strategic places. In chapter 1 of the book of Hebrews, you read uh, this beginning in verse 1. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets and in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in Son, or in His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, through whom also He made the world. But you, you see, He says, in these last days. And so the writer of Hebrews is writing to these Jewish believers, uh, uh, referring to this period of time as last days. Then also, you read in uh, Hebrews chapter 9, uh, you read here... Um, Let's see, in verse, I believe, 26. Otherwise, he would have needed to suffer often since the foundations of the world. But now, 
uh, but now once at the, con- uh, at the consummation of the ages, he has manifested to put away sin. That's a very interesting phrase. But now once at the consummation of the ages. See, he's not referring to the exact end of the end, but that is a very interesting phrase uh, that really defines what these last days are, the consummation of the ages. Okay? Has, uh, he has been manifested to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Okay? Uh, and then there's a few other places also. So what is it that these people who were the listeners would understand by uh, the last hour, uh, the, these last days, uh, these days, in these last days, the consummation of the ages, very important for us. So, uh, as we learned uh, on uh, uh, Yom HaBikurim, okay, that uh, when Yeshua rose from the dead, that was a sign, that was a sign to these Jewish people that the end of the age has come, okay? Uh, uh, they did not understand that Yeshua's, at the time of it, that Yeshua's death, for example, was significant. That's why, for example, Peter, uh, you know, it's like lost, right? It's like, it's like a train wreck. It's like, here we believe, and now he's dead, right? Because in Jewish thinking, then and now, the Messiah is not associated with death, with like his death, death for our sins. What the Messiah is associated with, even though, yes, I know it's in Isaiah 53, but there's a few places in the Tanakh where you read about the Messiah's death being significant, and of course it is. But what they all would have understood is that the resurrection, that is a sign of the end of the age. Okay? And in Yeshua's resurrection, because he rose from the dead, that makes his death significant. Okay? But the point for us today is, when Yeshua rose from the dead, that is the beginning of the Olam Haba, the invisible Olam the invisible kingdom of God, the invisible world uh, 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 to come. The day will come when Yeshua will appear again and will uh, be in Jerusalem and everybody will know it. And then it will be certainly quite visible, but now it is invisible and it is referred to as the mystery of the kingdom, this invisible nature of it. So the age has begun. These people like Paul and Peter and John uh, and all of them, they understood, see, that the age, this new age has, be- has begun because of the resurrection of the Messiah and then the subsequent pouring out of the Ruach HaKodesh in Acts chapter 2. This was the sign of the new age, of the, of the world to come, the kingdom of God, whatever terminology uh, we want uh, to use. Okay? The mysterious part is that it has begun while at the same time running concurrently with the world as it is. See? Uh, and when we embrace Yeshua, while we are still living in this world as it is, we have been delivered from the domain of darkness of the kingdom of His beloved Son. We are living in this new age. We are participating in eternal life. That's what all of that means. See? Okay? Uh, and, and so they were a little bit in uncharted waters. In other words, it's the last hour. We, 
We don't know when, you know, when uh, he's going to appear again. We know that he is, but we don't know when. And we need to live like, you know, it, it could be any moment. And that is uh, what he is saying. Now, now that uh, 2,000 years have gone by, it doesn't mean that we stop living that way. But it, it, it certainly means that uh, uh, it may not be today. It may not be tomorrow. It may not be in our lifetime. But at the very same time, it might be. And so that is how we are called to live. It is the, regardless of the chronology, regardless of how long the last hour is, we're in it. And we need to understand that. We're, we're, we're in it. And so spiritually, things are, uh, uh, according to the text, uh, a little different. That, that now there are, there are unique kinds of um, uh, deceptions. There are unique uh, uh, kinds of blessings uh, that have to do with the coming of the new covenant, as, as we'll see. So he says, children, it's the last hour. And just as you heard that, that anti-Messiah is coming, even, even now many anti-Messiahs have arisen. From this we know that it is the last hour. Okay, We know that it's the last hour because uh, there is one, there are those who specifically who come uh, who are anti-Messiah. Just what it means. Who are anti-Messiah or against the Messiah. Who uh, don't believe in the Messiah. But he's going to give more information about who these people are. Not just in general, the world of unbelief. But he gets very specific in this letter about who they are. But there's some things that we need to know about this. First of all, how did they know you've heard that anti-Messiah is coming? Well, you read, to save some time, you read in Matthew chapter 24 about false uh, messiahs, okay, false prophets, right? Uh, you read, for example, uh, I guess I should read, I'll read one of these verses. In uh, Matthew chapter 24, verse 5, For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Messiah, and will mislead many, okay? False messiahs, okay? Uh, and then you have, in, again, in verse 24, For false messiahs and false prophets will arise uh, and will show great signs and wonders so as to mislead. Okay, we'll stop there. Then uh, you have in uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul talks about a man of lawlessness. All right, a man of lawlessness who will come. Now, we don't have to, if we're doing 2 Thessalonians, we'll, we'll unpack all that. But I'll just tell you, he was referring to Daniel chapter 8, 9, and 11. <laughs> All right? I, 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 and that's important to understand, especially chapter 11, because the terms he uses in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 to describe the man of lawlessness is basically the terms that are used in the book of Daniel. Okay? But here's some information that you may not know. Maybe you do. There's nowhere... In the New Covenant, where the word anti-Messiah is used, except here, in 1 John, in four places. You know how you read, uh, you know how you, you know, uh, co conventional wisdom among believers, right? Is that, you know, the beast, the Antichrist, right? Now, it may be that, there, you know, uh, that is not a bad word to use to describe the man of lawlessness, false messiah, 
uh, the king who's going to declare himself God in the temple and halt sacrifice and all that that you read about in Daniel. But that's not what he's talking about here. Okay? That's important. It's not what he's talking about here. Okay? Uh, the word uh, uh, anti-Messiah uh, uh, is used in uh, four different places here. You've heard that the anti-Messiah is coming, and now many anti-Messiahs have come. Then you have in 1 John uh, 4, or I'm sorry, in, um, in verse, no, I'm sorry, 1 John 2, still in this chapter. In verse 22, who is the liar but the one who denies that Yeshua is the Messiah? This is the anti-Messiah, the one who denies the Father and the Son. Okay. Then in uh, chapter 4, in verse 3, he says this, and every spirit that does not confess Yeshua is not from God. And this is the spirit of the anti-Messiah of which you have heard that is coming and now is already in the world. And then in 2 John, the second letter there, in verse 7, many deceivers have gone into the world, those who do not acknowledge Yeshua as coming in the flesh. This is the deceiver and the anti-Messiah. Those are the only places in the Bible, where we read that term, all right? And he's speaking about something in particular. And, we, you know, we need to be true to the text, all right, uh, and understand what he's talking about here. Now, I just read the verses where the word anti-Messiah is used. We will now see that he fleshes that out, and he gives more details. Not just people who, uh, who would say, I don't believe that Yeshua is the Messiah. Like you just went out in the street, you know, and a person uh, that, uh, you know, you just walk up to. Do you believe that Yeshua is the Messiah? Uh, I don't know. Anti-Messiah, you know. Uh, or uh, do you believe that Yeshua is the Messiah? No, you know, I really don't think, I don't really know. Anti-Messiah, you know. That's not also what this is talking about. All right? Uh, right? Okay. Very good. So, I, uh, first of all, what we see here, now going back to verse 18, now many anti-Messiahs have arisen, and from this we know it is the last hour. So, we know it's the last hour, not only because the Messiah rose from the dead, but because there are forces that come against those who believe in the Messiah, and there are those that, that specifically... I uh, teach anti-Messiah, and this is very important. So isn't it interesting that he says, we know it's the last hour. Now, there are other places in the uh, New Covenant where you read, like Paul says in one place when he's talking to Timothy, he talks about, you know, how uh, uh, bad times will come and and uh, prior to the return of the Lord, people are going to, going to deny the Lord. People are going to want to have their ears tickled. People will not obey. People will walk away from God. All those kinds of things. That's very important uh, you know, to, uh, uh, to understand that there was the understanding that with the closeness of the hour comes persecution. All right? And, uh, you know, this is uh, uh, very true uh, in Jewish theology, if there is such a really complete thing, 
right? But uh, Jew, basic Jewish theology. And uh, in our Daniel class, we were talking about this because last week in our class, we were talking about chapter 8, 9, and 11. They, they go together. And what's interesting about those chapters is that if you read them without anything before them and without chapter 12, it's like a train wreck because the end is, you know, uh, this one comes and uh, desecrates the temple, right? Uh, you don't read about, and then, you know, in those chapters, you don't read about then comes the kingdom of God or then comes the Messiah and defeats all. No, it ends with uh, uh, bad times are there. That's why chapter 12 of Daniel is so fabulous. Uh, why well, you need chapter 12 because it talks about the resurrection and all that. However, I, I, from those chapters in the book of Daniel specifically, and several other places, when you read in the Talmud and rabbinic literature about the coming of the Messiah, it's like Woody Allen, the Jewish theologian, would say, I don't mind dying, I just don't want to be there when it happens. And that is basically the word in the Talmud. I'm looking forward to the coming of the Messiah, but I really don't want to be there when it happens because it's going to be so horrible before he comes. And so when John says it's the last hour, this is a perfect illustration of their rejoicing because of the resurrection of Yeshua. They're rejoicing because the Messiah has come, but recognize, be warned, their anti-Messiahs abound. See? This is his way of saying all those other things like that, that Paul says and others say about what will be prior to that. Like Yeshua, the abomination of desolation, right? And he even refers to Daniel in Matthew 24. Head for the hills is basically what he says. It's going to be really, really bad just before the second appearance of the Lord. That's what Yeshua says, and that is what they, they understood. They understood Jewish theology and the coming of the Messiah, while it does it while the coming of Yeshua himself does not fit perfectly into Jewish theology, you can see where they sort of all come out of the same egg, where the Jewish understanding of the coming of the Messiah comes out of the same egg as the real thing because it's out of the scriptures, right? Uh, the difference is, is the failure to recognize Yeshua as the one. That is, in a nutshell, the difference, okay? All right, so he says uh, here, even now many anti-messiahs have arisen. From this we know it's the last hour. Now, verse 19 is very helpful to us in understanding what he's talking about. They went out, these anti-messiahs, that's how we know who they are. This is how we know who they are. They went out from us. But they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out in order that it might be shown that they were not of us. Okay. He is defining who these anti-Messiahs are. These are people that, remember, remember the reason he wrote the letter, if you remember from the beginning of this series, remember in the beginning, the very beginning of 1 John at the very beginning, the first few verses, when he says, What was from the beginning we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we beheld with our hands handled concerning the word of life, and the life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and proclaim to you 
the eternal life, uh, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. Then he says it again. We have seen, we have heard, we proclaim to you. Okay. There were those, evidently, that came into this community that taught that while Yeshua may be the Messiah, he was not a real human being. He was not a real human being. He was like a, you know, a, an angel of sorts, uh, some kind of being that uh, he might have been a human being for part of his life, but that by the time he died, he was no longer a human being. That he did not, re- he was not, as we would say today, he was not from beginning to end the incarnation of God. That, that is very important to know because what a, a big part of what he is, there's other parts of, of what the people taught, as we'll see, but this was huge, that Yeshua was not who we say that, who he said that he was uh, and is, okay? And so these people were with them, but then they left. And he says, you know, the fact that they left tells us they were never really of us. And so an anti-Messiah, according to, he's the only one who uses the word, okay, uh, it may, again, the word could be applied perhaps to the man of lawlessness, false prophets, a false king, and all of that. But the way he uses the word is that it is people who are in a community who identify themselves as Messiah followers, but end up uh, uh, teaching wrongly about the nature of God and who he is, and then there's like then as a result of that, it's a slippery slope, and there is like a litany of other things uh, that they teach uh, that are not uh, that are not true, and uh, we have that uh, here. We've mentioned some of them, right? I, uh, he talks about lying. He talks about lies. There's a number of verses here where we t- where he talks about certain beliefs that are lies, okay? For example, in 1 John 6, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie. In 1.8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. In 1.10, he says, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. In chapter 2, in verse 4, he says, he who says I know him but disobeys his commandments is a liar. In 2.6, he who says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which, uh, in which he walks. Uh, if he, in, in verse 9, it's part of this little section. In verse 9, he who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in the darkness still. Or is not telling the truth, right? And then in chapter 4, in verse 20, if anyone says I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. So, I would suggest that the reason he says all that is because that's what, he, that's what these people were hearing. They were hearing uh, that uh, we do not have to. We, we can walk in darkness. That sin, overall sin, is not important. So, may I suggest that what they heard is that there is no real accountability. There is that, that, that the way we live is not really that important. And that Yeshua was not uh, a, uh, a real human being. And this is what he's answering all the way through here. 
Now, this issue of the law of lying, he, using that word lie, uh, I think is, uh, you know, is very important. Because when you go back to uh, Genesis, right, the lie, the lie, the, the original lie, there's original sin, there's also the original lie, okay? You can be as God, knowing good and evil. You can be as God. I would suggest that every, everything else comes from that, okay? Creating gods on our own image, all kinds of idolatry, uh, um, uh, the, uh, uh, not, not having any sense of accountability, uh, doing anything I want, just anything I want, okay? Uh, and, uh, and, and then it's interesting that if you turn to Romans chapter 1, in Romans 1, in verse 25, okay, uh, verses 24 and 25. Therefore God gave them over in the lusts of their heart to impurity, that their bodies might be dishonored among them, for they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. You know what's interesting about that little phrase, a lie? That could also be translated, the lie, the lie. It's very interesting. For they exchanged the truth of God for the lie. And notice what it says. And worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. See? Creating gods in our own image. And then, uh, you know, uh, he goes on here uh, to talk about a variety of, of sins. Everything, uh, including, it goes from homosexuality to not being thankful. That's quite a, uh, a, quite a continuum, you know? I, so uh, just remember that. <laughs> I mean, boastful, disobedient to parents. You know, so there's a lot that's, uh, that's uh, in that section. I don't think uh, too many of us get away uh, scot-free on that one. Okay, but he's talking here about a particular judgment, right? Uh, and so exchanging the truth of God for the lie. Exchanging, we could say that exchanging the truth of God is whatever is true. Whatever is true from the word of God and believing something else is believing the lie, is believing the lie, okay? Uh, and, uh, you know, what's also interesting is in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, in verse 11, that's a little book that might take some of you a half hour to find, right? What do you think? No, okay. I like to say maybe it's in the shiny part of your Bible. No, okay? In 2 Thessalonians 2, uh, in verse uh, 11, and for this reason, God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they might believe what is false, the lie. Same, same as Romans 1.25, the lie. A deluding influence that they might believe the lie. And so what has happened now in 1 John is these people have been tainted by the lie. And with, with these with uh, these manifestations. There are many manifestations of the lie. But here, they have believed aspects of the lie. But God in His grace and His mercy moved them out so that they could know that they were not of us. And so, he's talking here about uh, in the body of Messiah, not a particular congregation. Oh yeah, that's really important. He's not talking about people that leave a particular uh, you know, uh, uh, congregation. Like, someone doesn't like it here anymore, 
And so they leave. Oh, there they go. Anti-Messiah. <laughs> no. He's talking about recanting the faith, like truly not believing that Yeshua uh, what is truly the incarnation uh, or that the word of God matters uh, or that, you know, sin, that we, can, that we do sin and, that, uh, uh, and, and all the things that, that we mentioned, okay? That's what he's talking about. Not people that leave a congregation, uh, okay? That's very important, okay? Uh, and, and so one could say he's talking about, therefore, a threat within, from within. There's, you know, don't love the world out there. That's the threat from without. The threat from within uh, is, uh, is indeed this teaching. So we could apply anti-Messiah teaching to those that teach against Yeshua, against the nature of God, against the most fundamentals of who he is. Not people that disagree on um, peripheral doctrinal things. Okay, that's really important, all right? Uh, we're talking about who is Yeshua. I mean, what's more important than that? Or the fact that people do indeed sin, or that uh, we need to confess our, our sins, things of that nature. The resurrection, all of it, okay? Very, very important uh, uh, to understand. So it's not just someone's anti-Messiah if they're um, not sure about uh, mid-post or uh, pre-trib uh, you know, or something like that. You, you know what I'm saying? It's, it's about who is Yeshua. That's why, by the way, that's why it is really important that when people say, you know, we, we believe the same thing. I just don't believe that Yeshua is really the, uh, the incarnation of God. That's really important, Okay. It's not just, well, you know, all right, it's all right. He still died for my sins and he rose from the dead. No, 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 no. It's very important what we believe about the nature of Yeshua, okay? If we don't get anything else out of it, we need to get that out of this because that's what he's talking about here, the nature of Yeshua. When we say the name Yeshua, it doesn't mean whatever we decide that means, okay? Very important. So understanding who he is whether we're talking about the, the, his full humanity or deity, all right? That who he is is absolutely essential for his finished work uh, in, our, in our lives. And that is what he's talking about, okay? Now, he does say here, um, oh, well, I guess I should say, in verse 22, uh, when he says, Who is the liar but the one who denies that Yeshua is the Messiah? This is the anti-Messiah, the one who denies the Father and the Son. So again, it's the one who denies the Father and the Son, the one who is teaching wrongly, the one who identifies oneself as a Messiah follower and leads people astray. That's what he's talking about. So don't go around talking, calling every, per, every person who doesn't believe in Yeshua anti-Messiah. You know, that's, uh, that is not, uh, not correct. All right? Uh, all those people need the Lord, no doubt, <laughs> you know. But anti-Messiah is a very specific understanding, all right? Okay, and very dangerous, because how many people have had shipwrecked faiths by believing a deluding influence, by believing, uh, you know, a, being in the, 
being in a place where wrong things are taught about God and there is like a spiritual dynamic that is going on there that convinces us. We have to be, we have to, uh, be careful. This deluding influence, just as uh, the, the anti-Messiah will come, a deluding influence will come, may I suggest that it is present uh, even today. But the good news is, verse 20, you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you all know. So he's not saying, you know, see, he's not saying to them, and so many of the writers of the New Covenant talk this way. I'm not saying you now, I don't believe, or you have a shipwrecked faith, but I'm warning you, I don't want that to happen to you. And you have an anointing. May I suggest he's referring to the, the Ruach, the Ruach HaKodesh. You have an anointing, so you know. See, the presence of the Spirit of God within us is not just so, you know, we can have happy times, okay? That the presence of the Ruach in us we know from, uh, the, uh, from the book of Acts, empowers us to witness, empowers us to, he empowers us to testify. That's exactly what it says, you know, in uh, the first chapter of, um, of Acts. But also, the Spirit of God uh, is like proof positive within us that the truth is in us, okay? That he testify, that, you know how in Romans 8 it is, the Spirit agrees with my spirit, of who Yeshua is. So when someone says, how do you know it's true? Well, sometimes we have to say, I know because I know within me. That is not a cop-out. And that is not feelings. That is the presence of the Ruach HaKodesh. You know, when I, the night I came to know the Lord, I prayed, Lord, I can't stand sitting on the fence. I need to know, is he, is he or isn't he? And you know, I just knew. That was the convicting work of the Ruach HaKodesh. He convicted me. We read that in John chapter 16. He convicts us concerning sin. He convicts us concerning who is the truth. Do you ever look in a mirror and say to yourself, you know, I didn't grow up this way. How did I, you know, why is it that some people hear the message and they'll never, never, never believe it? How, why is it that I believed it? That is the convicting work of the Ruach. God draws us to himself. It is not just... I graduated from understanding the good news 101, and so now I believe. There is a spiritual transaction that takes place when we come to faith. That's why it is born anew, okay? The Spirit of God comes to indwell us, and we have this anointing. The greatest safeguard we have against unbelief, the greatest safeguard we have against sin, is the presence of the Ruach HaKodesh. So if you go down... If you, well, if you keep reading here, uh, in uh, verse um, 24, As for you, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you will also abide in the Son and the Father. And this is the promise that he has made to us, uh, eternal, uh, eternal life. And so... Uh, when we see, let that abide in you, which you heard from the beginning, that is indeed the presence of Yeshua via the Ruach HaKodesh, via his word, all of that. We read, abides, dwells, is at home within us. And we know that because we know that because we, can, we know the presence of God, and it is not a particular experience. It is just we know because he dwells within me. And I have this particular conviction about who Yeshua is because he dwells within me. It's not because I like the music, not because the people are nice to me, not because I got caught up in uh, some really articulate speaker 
or I believe most of it. I believe Yeshua was like a prophet and he did all those things, but he wasn't really, or he was an agent of God. No, the spiritual transaction has taken place if we get this, if we believe that Yeshua from beginning to end is indeed the incarnation of God. That is a, that is a, that is a miracle that takes place in each person's life. And that's why it is sort of like the invisible aspect of resurrection life. And that's why it is so Jewish. <laughs> because the beginning of the Olam Haba is a supernatural event that takes place in our lives. Okay? Very important to, to understand. This is not some Hellenistic uh, thing, Greek thing uh, at all. Uh, at all. Okay? All right. So I'm just going to finish up uh, here. I wanted to jump down to verse 27. As for you, uh, the anointing which you received from him abides in you, and you have no need for anyone to teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about all things and is true and is not a lie, not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you abide in him. I'm going to leave us with this because there's more to say uh, about this. All I'll say right now about this is one thing that it doesn't mean and one thing that it does mean. It doesn't mean that nobody needs to learn anything. It doesn't mean I don't need uh, to listen to that teacher. I don't need to read about, uh, you know, what does a verse mean, a commentary, or I don't need to hear what anybody has to say because I have the Spirit and He's going to teach me everything. What that means, so that's not, that is not what it means, all right? What it does mean is that the new covenant has arrived again, very Jewish. Uh, under, he was Jewish. The people he's writing to were Jewish. This is all within this Jewish framework of the, of the resurrection, the Olam Haba, the coming of a Messiah, and all of it, because it says in, in, uh, in uh, Jeremiah chapter 31, in verse 34, about the new covenant, and this is where we'll stop. I keep saying that. And in conclusion, those famous last words. In chapter 31, you read here in verse 34, And they shall not teach again each man his neighbor and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. There is no uh, esoteric knowledge. There is no secret knowledge that only a few have. But when we embrace Yeshua, the Ruach HaKodesh indwells us and we all know who He is. The miracle that happened in my life that night and many years ago is the same miracle that happened in your life and in your life and in your life and in your life. It doesn't matter if you grew up uh, going to Sunday school and hearing it, but there must have been a time, even if you don't exactly know the day and the hour, that's okay, that there a spiritual transaction took place. And that's how indeed you know. And that's how uh, you withstand and are able to wear uh, the glasses that help us to not be deceived and to know the truth. Okay, And that is being filled with the Ruach HaKodesh and uh, uh, being immersed uh, in the Ruach HaKodesh. Well, we're going to stop there, and we will talk more about this next time. So let us be sure that, yes, we're not uh, loving the world, but let us also make sure that we uh, are not listening to uh, uh, teaching that may tickle our ears. Let us be sure that we're in the Word of God, 
that we let the Word abide in us, that we let Yeshua abide in us, that the Spirit of God abides, is at home within us. Let us cultivate that kind of relationship with God. There is no greater safeguard against safety in the Lord than that. Let's pray. Lord, uh, thank you uh, for this great teaching. And Lord, uh, I uh, pray, God, that we might know that the Spirit of God is indeed the Spirit of truth, Lord. And the truth is that Yeshua is indeed the Messiah. He uh, is indeed uh, the one who uh, came uh, from you in the flesh, Lord, uh, God. And we thank you, Lord, that it never happened before. It'll never happen again, uh, Lord, and uh, that there were eyewitnesses. We see it. We know it. Uh, and Lord, thank you that even though we personally were not there, the Ruach HaKodesh, in association with your word, Lord, uh, uh, convicts us of that great truth. Thank you, Lord, by your grace and your mercy that you opened up my eyes and the eyes of those who are here today. We pray in Yeshua's name.